This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. have nailed his hands to the cross after he's been beaten and the book of Isaiah said that he was so disfigured his body was so marred it hardly looked like if it was a man on the cross but he was alive until he himself gave up his spirit he didn't come off the cross and if he didn't come off the cross we shouldn't come off the altar and continue to be a living sacrifice for God there's a reason Jesus is your Lord and Savior He willingly sacrificed himself for your sake. He was beaten for things he didn't do and sentenced to die a brutal death for no reason. Jesus could have saved himself. He had the power to do it. Instead, Jesus chose to stay on the cross, suffering the death you deserve so that you don't have to. Today, Pastor Eddie will encourage you to live as Jesus did, setting aside your personal agenda and comfort to be a living sacrifice, an example of redemption. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of Romans chapter 12 with today's edition of Running the Race. In the Old Testament, the sacrifices were dead. They were dead sacrifices. They had to be slaughtered, they had to be dead. And then, once they kill them, they put them on the altar. But they have to be dead. Because if you don't slaughter your sacrifice, what do you think is going to happen? It's going to want to break free. It's going to want to, you know, it's going to want to go, right? It's going to want to leave the altar. And what would, if you think about that, really, and how that applies to us. I know I failed in this. Because there have been many times when I should have died to myself when I accepted Christ as Lord and personal Savior. And I should have stayed on the altar. And sat. instead, I crawled off. And I know we've been there before. It gives us a picture that when we gave our life to Christ, we died to the old man. We died to the old woman. We were no longer the way that, you know, when we come to Christ, we're a new creation. We're no longer the old person. And so we died. Christ died for us. We died. Yet we're still alive because we're still alive in Christ. And we come to the altar of God. And many times we call off the altar, not willing to be a living sacrifice, as Christ himself set the example. And so, see, this is why it's so important for us. The first practical is probably the hardest out of all. And to really surrender your life completely. And that's what it means to surrender your life, your will, your thoughts, and your bodies to God. Now, this living sacrifice, of course, is mentioned twice. We have two living sacrifices mentioned in all of Scripture. Jesus is one in the New Testament, but there is one in the Old Testament. There was a living sacrifice in the Old Testament. We find that in Genesis chapter 22. In Genesis chapter 22, Abraham was at this point about 100 years old, and the Lord finally heard his prayer and gave him a son, a promised one. 
And so years later down the road, after the Lord blessed Abraham with a son, we're talking about anywhere, scholars say anywhere from, some people went as young as 16 to as old as 33. And so we're not too sure, but at this point, it's totally irrelevant. But we knew he had a son, and the Lord told him. So if he's, if let's say if the lad was 16 or 30 or 33, that means that makes Abraham 116, 133, anywhere within that age. And so the reason why I want to give you his age for, you know, there's a reason. So anyway, the Lord said to Abraham in Genesis 22, verse 2, he says, and then he said, the Lord said to him, take now your son. Now, this is very interesting. Your only son. Does it sound familiar? God, only begotten son. Your only son, Isaac, whom you love. That's the first time you find the word love in the Bible. Go from Genesis 1-1 to Genesis chapter 22, verse, 20, verse 2. It's the first time you see the word love. Take your son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you, to the land of Moriah. So he takes his son. You're thinking, I said, wait a minute, Lord, I waited a hundred years for a son. My only son, now you want me to sacrifice him. Uh, the argument from Abraham, because he's the father of faith, he believed probably, hey, you know what? If I kill my son, God is going to raise him up again. You know, he gave him to me at a hundred. He could give it to me, you know, without me and my wife. He could give back my son. And so Abraham took Isaac, and it says that he placed the wood on his son. Another picture. Who carried the wood? Jesus Christ. And on his way up to Mount Moriah, Mount Moriah, by the way, is the same place as we call Calvary, Golgotha. It's Mount Moriah. It's the same location. Same location. So God is giving Abraham a picture of what he himself would do years down the road. You know, he's going to give his only begotten son, whom he loved. For God so loved the world on that very mountain. But I want us to focus on the living sacrifice here. In Genesis 22, verses 78, Isaac is now asking his father, but Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham didn't say, well, I got good news and bad news. He said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. Faith. It didn't make sense to Abraham to take his only son, but it's, that's what happens with faith. You don't apply logic or common sense. You just go ahead and be faithful. And so God is giving him a picture. And so the two went and met together. And so if you read the whole story, it's incredible how it gives a perfect picture because Abraham went up, before he went up to the mountain, he, he has two servants. Jesus was crucified with who? With two on the cross, his two servants said, wait here, the lad and I will be back. <laughs> he even had faith that he was going to come back with his son. And so Isaac now, you, here's what I want to point out is that Isaac was young and healthy. He's about 16 to 33 years old. His dad, his old man, you know, he's about 116, 133. So he's thinking, you know, my father's losing it right about this time. Yeah, I know he loves God. He has faith, but he's tying me up. <laughs> he's, he's, what is he doing? And you're talking about, you know, dysfunctional families today. You go in the Bible, these guys need therapy. I mean, after that, you would think, my father tied me up. And so you would think, but here's the amazing thing about it. Isaac, he didn't argue with his father. He didn't wrestle with him. He didn't rebuke him. And even more incredible is that Isaac didn't utter a word, didn't say one word. 
The Bible doesn't mention he mentioned one word. He asked a question before he went to the altar. He was obedient. He saw his father was obedient. He followed his father. He worshiped and served the same God, but he was silent. And the reason why he was silent is because God knew that he is blessing with his son Isaac that also would be a man of God, that also would trust in the Lord, and also would be a perfect picture of who Jesus Christ was. Because Jesus didn't say a word. He was silent like a lamb who went to the slaughter. And this is the picture. But all that to say is that Isaac was willing to be a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Saints, whenever we have anything practical, whenever this, the Bible gives us instructions and in how we to live, ought to live, there's perfect examples in the Bible of those that went before us and has done, been through the same thing you've been going through, or everything you've gone through, but was able to be victorious by following and being faithful to the Lord. Jesus set the example of dying for the world, being obedient, not my will, but your will be, you'll be done, my Lord. And so we, the same way, this is what being a living sacrifice is. And so because Isaac was willing to offer, present himself to be a, a living sacrifice, the Lord has used this as a picture. And that's why when Jesus met the Pharisees, he says, before Abraham I was. He said, Jesus said, they saw, they saw my day, Abraham saw my day. He said, Abraham saw my day, and he rejoiced. When he see the day of the Lord, when he was up there, almost sacrificed his own son. God gave the picture. You see, Abraham, you almost sacrificed your son. Your son was almost a living sacrifice. You know, my son, I'm going to send him. He's my only son, and he's also going to be a living sacrifice. So we have two. And why this is so important? Because when we see this, we see that, This application applies to us. And so Jesus set that example. He went on the cross willingly. He died on the cross. He was a willing sacrifice. Perfect. The Lamb of God. He died on the cross. He was a living sacrifice. He was alive at the cross. Even after they have nailed his hands to the cross. After he's been beaten. And the book of Isaiah said that he was so disfigured, his body was so marred, it hardly looked like if it was a man on the cross. But he was alive on the cross until he himself gave up his spirit. He didn't come off the cross. And if he didn't come off the cross, we shouldn't come off the altar and continue to be a living sacrifice for God. You know, the same power, the Bible says, that raised Christ from the grave is the same power that's in us. Can you imagine that? On the third day when Jesus rose, the living sacrifice continued to now be alive. And he's now alive, seated at the right hand of the Father. A living sacrifice with all the scars and the wounds from the cross to prove that he was the Lamb of God. That same power that raised him from the grave is in us, the Bible says. And so how are we to present our bodies? Now, how do we apply this for us? How do we, we, we present our body as a living sacrifice to the Lord? Paul tells us that it needs to be holy and acceptable. Holy and acceptable. When we offer up our bodies to God, God intends our bodies to be holy and acceptable. What is holy? Holy means set apart. Set apart for God. And the more you set yourself apart from the world and from your own will and from all your sinful pleasures, you give your body to God. Separate. 
So our bodies should not be used for sinful pleasures. It should not be used for the world, but it should only be used for the Lord. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament terminology to be holy, to be set apart, is associated with worship and in the temple and the tabernacle. Exodus chapter 40, verse 10, we see that it needs to be holy to sacrifice. The Lord said, you shall anoint the altar of the burnt offerings and all his utensils and consecrate the altar. The altar shall be most holy. Leviticus chapter 6, verse 25, he says, speak to Aaron and to his son, saying, this is the law of the sin offering in the place where the burnt offering is killed. The sin offerings shall be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. Well, we present to God everything about you, interior, exterior, everything about you, your soul, your spirit, your mind needs to be holy. Paul knew about this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. He says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Leviticus, you go back to the Old Testament of being holy. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26. And you shall be holy to me, the Lord said, for I, the Lord, am holy. <laughs> We should be holy. Why should be holy? Because God is holy. We serve a God is holy. And if we are to be a reflection of who he is, we should be holy. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And he's quoting Leviticus because it is written, be holy for I am holy. So Peter, Paul, the new covenant with the New Testament points and quotes from the Old Testament because it's a picture of what your bodies are to be holy. We're to be holy. We're to be also acceptable. What does acceptable mean? It means to be well-pleasing to God. Our lives should not only be holy, but should be well-pleasing. We can't, we can't come to the altar of God in our own terms and believe, you know, what is acceptable to God. And we always have that. Say, well, you know what? This is the best I can do, and, you know, or this is all I want to do. Uh, God should be happy with that. I never would ever have that thought, me personally, because he's given himself completely to me. Why would I want to cut corners? Sometimes for me, it's like, Lord, what can I do? I know there's nothing I can. I know that. But Lord, what can I do to show how much I love you? How much can I give? I'm tired of cutting corners. You never cut corners for me. You've done everything for me, and I didn't deserve it. I want my life to be acceptable. And some people will say, well, Lord, that's what I'm willing to offer you. Just a portion. I have this whole life in front of me. I'm busy. I have all this. I have, I'm career-minded. I'm sports-minded. I'm, I'm you know, worldly-minded. And I'll try to fit you in. And it's so sad. It's so sad. Jesus was the Lamb of God. He was holy. He was acceptable. He was perfect and satisfying. And the word propitiation, that means he was fully satisfied. It's not just a sacrifice, but it was a satisfying sacrifice. 
There have been many sacrifices, even in the Old Testament, that, you know, I'm pretty sure it wasn't completely acceptable by God because it was by his grace, but they had to do it. I'm pretty sure, you know, not that we care about other gods and their sacrifice, but no sacrifice was perfect and none was satisfying. But in that of Jesus Christ, he was completely satisfying. And so we need to remember this, saints. When we think about this, before we were condemned, we use our bodies, we use our minds and everything for sinful pleasures. And guess what? We deserve the wrath of God and the, you know, for sins and wickedness, but because of God's grace through his son, Jesus Christ. You don't think that, you know, that just because you, know, you fall under God's grace, yes, there is grace, and I don't think you understand grace until you understand the wrath of God. Never. We, we just live on grace, 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 grace. And it, people think it's a license to continue to sin and live the way you want to. God understands. Yeah, God knows. But you know, here's the thing. God would always judge his people first. Not condemnation, but he would bring judgment to his people first. He chastens those who he loves. And why? Because he loves you. Before he does the world. And the time will come with the world. It definitely will come. And so we need to separate ourselves. We need to completely be ex- holy and acceptable. But now, because we have, through Christ, we've been justified, sanctified, we present our bodies holy and acceptable to the Lord. And why is that? You know, it's so important. Why is that? Because, listen, this may not mean nothing to anybody, but this is real. When you accepted Christ, who's in you? God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. And we have this thing that God is, you know, he's just here and there. He's in the church. When I walk out, he's not with me. <laughs> he's with you. He dwells in you. He's always with us. He's not miles away that we got to yell and shout to the mountaintops. No, he's always with us. He's in us. And this is why it's so important because if the Holy Spirit dwells in us, why do we use our bodies to glorify the world or for sinful pleasures when Christ is in us? And I think about that even more so now. More and more I'm watching less TV because there's really nothing. My wife and I only watch Leave it to Beaver. We do. Little House in the Prairie, you know, because there's nothing else on TV. We like the old classic. And I just, because I just like it anyway, I like the old classic stuff. And it's the truth. Why? Because there's nothing on TV. But, you know, when we watch TV, this is the one thing I've always asked myself to bring conviction. Every time when you watch something, whether you go to the movies, if Christ was sitting next to you, would you be watching what you're watching on TV, on your computer, on your phone? Paul writes to the church of Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. He says, do you not know that you are the temple of God? And that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 and 20. All the Corinthians, you may want to study that. 15 says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ?" Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? 
For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So he said, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were brought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Always consider your body. Now, you may not be one who takes care of the body, but this is one area where the reason why you should. I'm not talking about weights or anything. That's, all that is good. I'm going to get to that a little bit. I'm talking about spiritual. If God dwells in our heart and the Holy Spirit dwells in our heart, why allow these ungodly things to be in with you and be a part of you? Don't defile your body. Don't let your eyes sin. Don't let your heart sin. Keep your body God's temple. Stay away. Run. As Joseph did. Joseph ran. Because why? God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you. He's not into timesharing. He wants all your heart. He wants all your body, your mind, your soul. He wants to bless you. When you do things right, then you know, you do things according to God's word and you're faithful to that, you'd be surprised. You probably would never, you'd be surprised at what God could do in your life. But we have so many excuses to, to, for our sins and, and it's, it's only killing you. It's only separating you from God. Then why, 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 we ask the Lord, well, what are you doing with your body? Now, many people like to take this term and, and I've seen it so many times, you know. I had a coworker of mine who was a Christian, but everything was, he was, oh, you could tell, he was a bodybuilder, you know, everything was, and he tried to spiritualize everything. He spiritualized, those things are good. Paul said to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, he says, for the body exercise profit a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. Having promise of the life, that now is and of that which is to come. Now, Paul is not saying that exercise, if you exercise, this is not saying that, you know, okay, it doesn't profit much. That's what he's saying. And it's only mentioned one time. But people like to say the temple of the body. There are so much scriptures that really talks about the body being a place for the spirit to dwell in you and for you to glorify God with your bodies. I've seen people take that and they want to spiritualize their little programs. You know, they're more into the gym than they are in the sanctuary. Again, this is okay. If this is something that you do, this is your job, this is fine. But don't spiritualize it. Because the most important thing with your body is and we could work hard. But guess what? The bottom line is, no matter how hard you work, how good shape you are, it really doesn't matter when you stand before God. I'm Romans 5.8 shares, But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This incredible truth applies to us even today. We didn't do anything to warrant God's acceptance and love of us. He saw us while we were still sinners and loved us despite that. 
No matter who you are or what you've done, Jesus still died for you, and He still offers you new life. If you're ready to learn more about Jesus, we'd like to encourage you to find a local church family that you can be a part of. The believers you'll encounter there will help you grow in your faith and offer you support in every situation. If you're in the New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania area, we'd love to have you come join us in person here at Calvary Chapel of Milford. We're conveniently located off Interstate 84 and Route 6. For service times and directions, visit runningtheraceradio.com. If you'd like to listen again to today's message, Tracy has information on where to find it. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor Eddie, go to runningtheraceradio.com and then click on the radio page. There you'll find today's message and many more. Thanks, Tracy, and thank you for tuning in today for another edition of Running the Race.